Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, or on the NSN app. And we are in between. It's kind of a weird place to be because we have the 20 Democratic presidential nomination debaters, and we had 10 last night, 10 tonight. And, you know, you don't know exactly what's, how it's going to shake out. Um, of course, we know that 20 people and even 10 people is just way too many. It's kind of impossible to really have or do any type of justice in a substantive manner to in this kind of debate. I mean, with commercial breaks, with the moderators speaking and the moderators did speak quite a bit last night, you have a situation where you have to fight for the time and you know, fight they did a little bit. Although not enough, it was, you know, got spirited at times, but not necessarily spirited. Uh, it wasn't nasty uh, at any point, kind of like we remember the 2016 Republican debates, which made them all the more entertaining. Uh, of course, the president does make things entertaining. Uh, I do have to give a little shout out to President Trump in the debates, because when they came back from a commercial break... The mics apparently were were not working. They were hot. It, it was they had a technical microphone snafu. I don't want to get into exactly what it was. Obviously, if you don't watch every minute, it doesn't really matter. But the fact is, it's a presidential debate. NBC has you know it's the big stage, and there's absolutely positively no reason that you should have that kind of technical difficulty in it. You're producing shows all the time. You can't produce live television. It's a little bit embarrassing that that should happen in this case. Um, and the president rightly pointed it out. <laughs> but of course, he always says, fake news organization, NBC, all caps, fake news. President's on his way to Japan, and he's been you know, tweeting along the way, said he had to li- watch the debates. Um, before, a couple things I think we should just get from the top, uh, the before like any debate analysis that we're going to go into this morning and, you know, winners and losers, although it's hard, again, it's hard to assess a winners and losers situation before you actually get into the second debate. Cause we don't really know what happens. Uh, we don't know the questions we don't know. And I, I, I'm sure they're not going to be the same questions. They did. The moderators did keep it substantive. It was substantive. It was interesting. I mean, what, what, biggest you know takeaway was that how far left the democrats kind of are and i find that puzzling and that's a segue to something i want to get to before we discuss the debates which was the democratic primaries here in new york state this past tuesday and if you didn't know that there was a democratic primary going on or you didn't know that there were primaries in general it was primary day primary day in new york state was moved from September to June, in order, at least in theory, that people, more people, should vote. Or to make sure that there was only one primary, because the congressional primaries have already been moved to June by a court order, so because the state primaries in September had been too close, and it wasn't fair to military and overseas voters. Well, if that's the case, and really you wanted more people to pay attention, I think it was in total fail. Because 
you had a situation where most people really just didn't know or didn't pay attention and really aren't conditioned to be voting at the end of June. We saw that in the Democratic primaries for Congress last year, uh, where, of course, there were some big upsets and that the trend is kind of continuing or potentially continuing in the county of Queens. Uh, Last year, as everybody remembers, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came out of nowhere to beat the long-established head or chief of the Queens, the vaunted Queens Democratic Organization, Joe Crowley, who was a potential Speaker of the House when Nancy Pelosi would retire. She dethroned him, she slayed him, and then this year took on the machine for a DA's race, district attorney's race. Now, why district attorney is so meaningful? One of the reasons in New York City is that there are no term limits on district attorney, as opposed to pretty much all other offices, that you can go ahead and be the district attorney for as long as you like. The current, the past district attorney, Richard Brown, who had just passed away, has just passed away, uh, I think it was in office for 30 years. And this person who going in there could be there for several decades because you know, it's more difficult to unseat an incumbent. Well, we had low turnout primaries. Had low turnout primaries in three races I want to go into uh, because I think one of the important things here is not just political analysis and political spin, but actually highlighting and talking about the importance of voting and participation in the process. And there were three races that were particularly important to the Jewish community uh, in New York State. Number one, as I mentioned, the Queens District Attorney race. Number two, a race for city council to replace Jumani Williams in Brooklyn, uh, Flatbush area, the eastern part, uh, the 20s and 30s. That is an area uh, that had been represented by Jumani Williams, who became the public advocate. And there was a rematch, essentially, because there had been a special election, which was run by the candidates being supported by the uh, Jewish community, or largely by the Jewish community, in Flatbush, as well as by the neighboring city councilmen, the Orthodox city councilmen, Chaim Deutsch and Kalman Yeager. And then there was a rematch for the Democratic primary to go into November, which was this week. Uh, number three was the district attorney's race in Rockland County. And uh, a lot of people may not have been watching that one, but that was particularly of importance to the from community, the Orthodox Jewish community in Rockland County. And that was uh, that was an interesting one because the, well, we'll just leave it for a second. Uh, I want to give a contrast, but the set the table on that one uh, at, uh, sorry, Judge Walsh, uh, who had been a state Supreme Court justice, retired at 70, uh, is, won that primary uh, with uh, quite handily over Ken Zabrowski, who uh, was an assemblyman, who is an assemblyman, uh, also the brother of the county, Democratic county chair. Um, and Walsh won that primarily with support, or not heavily support, not primarily with support, because he won quite handily, uh, pretty much by double, uh, support from the Orthodox Jewish community in Muncie, New Square, Kaser, and the environs. Uh, 
And w- interestingly enough, even though he's the candidate supported by the community, he will also have the Republican line. Now, the Republicans in Rockland County have, for the last couple of years, been quite antagonistic towards the from community up in Rockland uh, with the county executive, Republican county executive, uh, some would say being outwardly hostile to the Jewish community and particularly to the from community and saying uh, very incendiary and hostile things. The county chairman, the Republican county chairman in Rockland County has been openly, I would say anti-Semitic, really essentially calling Hasidic Judaism a cult uh, on Facebook and elsewhere and very unfortunate given the fact obviously the trends uh, in our community have been towards Republican and you know what had happened here is an interesting dynamic because Tom Walsh uh, who uh, got 8,900 votes and a lot of those votes I think uh, at least half of them maybe more uh, came from from areas. Obviously, we don't know who voted, but although if you're going to New Square, you will know that um, you're going to know that almost everybody there is a from voter. Um, as some of the precincts, some of the election districts came back, one was 422 to 0, another one was 304 to 0, another one was 519 to 1. Uh, two things we pick up from this. Number one, obviously, Ken Zabrowski had been outwardly hostile towards, on a number of issues, and he actually admitted it in his concession speech, uh, that he had been hostile to the firm community. Um, Aaron Weeder, a Orthodox Hasidic uh, county legislator, had a primary challenge, which he beat back and was able to beat back, uh, also with support from the firm community. But the one thing we see here, especially if you look at those numbers and some of those precincts, right? 160 to 3, 115 to 0, 108 to 1, 164 to 1, 304 to 0, 422 to 0, 519 to 1, is that when the firm community comes out and votes in places that matter, in elections that matter to them, it, this is the thing in Rockland is that they come out and vote in local elections no matter what because they know it's critical and important to them. And that, unfortunately, is not what happened in Queens. Uh, we're going to get there in a second. In Flatbush, we had the problem, of course, that many people were away already. Every people were going away for the summer. It's the last in June. I mean, it's the same thing in Queens. People are already looking to go. If you wanted people to vote, you wanted people to participate, you don't move it till the end of June, especially in places where many people start getting out of town at the end of of June. And yeah, oh, we'll try and get people to vote absentee. Well, it's hard enough to get people to vote regularly. Getting people to vote absentee is an incredible challenge, particularly in New York State, where it's a multi-step process that you have to go. And if you want to do it in person, okay, you got to go to a Board of Elections office in order to go ahead and vote absentee. Uh, good luck, you know, trying to get to a Board of, uh, board of Elections office you know, and trying to find parking and to go in there and do that. Um, maybe if you work downtown Manhattan, you can drop by 42 Broadway, where the Board of Elections is headquartered, and try and do that. But it's a bit of a challenge. But we see the contrast. In Rockland, the from community organized and is organized and went out and participates, and they participate far in, in, in a rate far in excess of what... 
uh, far at participation rate far in excess of the regular population. In Queens, unfortunately, the firm community, it seems, and what I've been told by anecdotal evidence, the, that the participation was very small. Uh, and remember, these are primaries. They're only open to Democrats. And I think part of it, of course, is that as our community has trended Republican, people say to themselves, well, even if I'm registered as a Democrat, I am thinking I'm a Republican, and there's no reason for me to participate in a Democratic primary. Wrong. Wrong answer. You should participate all the time if you can. Any opportunity you have, anytime you have an opportunity to vote, you should vote. Let me say that again. If you have an opportunity to vote, you should vote. The race, the DA's race in Queens, looks like it'll be settled by less than 1,000 votes. And the person that you are going to get, or at least that it looks right now, the Democratic nominee is going to be Tiffany Caban. Now, why is that a problem? Now, why is that a problem for anybody out there listening? And I think that's a problem well beyond Queens. I think it's a problem well beyond Queens. We have a major party candidate, meaning the Democrats, who is an open Black Lives Matter person. Black Lives Matter has shown itself to be hostile to Israel and hostile to Jews. She is against cash bail. I'm not sure exactly how that goes because what does he mean? Nobody gets bail. Anybody could just go. He's against criminalizing many different quality of life crimes. So, you know, you'll go ahead and, well, we'll just leave it at that. Just basically ending prosecutions for many different lower level offenses. She's against jails. She does, she wants to close Rikers Island, but she doesn't want to replace it with community jails. So the mayor has this crazy program that he wants to close Rikers Island and put jails in, in neighborhoods around the city. It's particularly, you know, if you're in Queens, one in Kew Gardens, right in the border, Kew Gardens, Kew Gardens Hills, Briarwood. And he wants to put a jail there. And that's, but if you're going to close Rikers Island, where are you putting in the prisoners? Well, we'll have fewer prisoners. We're going to have, we're going to stop this incarceration complex. So this is this idea that if you commit a crime, you don't necessarily have to go to jail. Um, now, obviously, is the justice system problematic? Yes. But it's not just that. It's somebody who appears on stage with Linda Sarsour, somebody who is the candidate of the Working Families Party and the Democratic Socialists of America, openly, openly calls herself Democratic Socialist. And we know the Democratic Socialists are pro-BDS. Do we want to go back to the days before Rudy Giuliani was mayor, where New York City seemed ungovernable, where it seemed that there was crime that was rampant all over the place. I mean, look at the value that has been created by having neighborhoods that are now safer, that people can move to, that I understand people are against, you know, feel uh, uncomfortable gentrification, but that doesn't mean necessarily you should just throw out criminal justice. There are criminals out there. Yes, reform might be make sense, but that doesn't mean you throw it out. And it's not as if the candidates who are out there, Melinda Katz is a hardcore conservative. The second place, or it looks like the second place senator. This is actually not over. It's going to go to court. There's absentees that are going to, but it's not that. It's that 
500 votes, another 500 votes in the, in the Jewish community could have tipped this race. Another 300 votes could have tipped this race. Uh, it's unfortunate that Rory Lansman, who was represents Hillcrest and Kew Gardens Hills, uh, dropped out, but way too late. Dropped out way too late of the to really have an impact. He still had more votes than the margin right now, as it stands. And, you know, never really found a rationale to be in this race with Tiffany Caban really getting that far left vote. But we see the impact here. We see the impact that 100, 200, 300, 500, 700 votes can have. And people say to themselves, well, I'm really a Republican. We'll go to the general election. Well, there might not right now. As of right now, the Republican candidate actually told the New York Post yesterday, who's the Republican nominee, that he doesn't plan to campaign. What? I mean, it's unfortunate, and that's 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 you know shocking as it may be. And you know, there's Republicans are bringing in a new chairman on July first, Nick Langworthy. Hopefully, we'll have him on the show. But it's absolutely astounding and shocking that in a in a in a county like Queens, you might have, which is diverse and not necessarily. Fully, you know, it's not a hotbed of progressivism around the county. Uh, you have many, many more conservative areas uh, that the voter participation is so low. 84,000 votes out of 760,000 registered Democrats. So what do we see here? We see, and this is a segue, of course, into what uh, some of the points from the debate last night. The Democrats are far have gone far left. I mean, it's very clear, and the energy is on the far left, and the energy is certainly on the progressives, the the AOCs, looking to upend the system and upend the establishment. And people want to thumb their numbers at the establishment, but the establishment, in many cases, has you know delivers a moderate, more moderate sense of politics. You know, last night during the debate. They asked, and I actually thought this is the most informative part of the debate. They asked all the candidates, do you support, everybody kind of supports the public option. Everybody wants public health care as an option. But do you support outlawing private insurance? And two candidates raised their hand. One was Mayor Bill de Blasio, and the other one was Elizabeth Warren. No surprise on either on either front. The funny thing, of course, was that Bill de Blasio interrupted Better O'Rourke to go ahead and decry public insurance, but I thought John Delaney had what I thought was actually the most sensible line. And I wish this is kind of where, in general, this, uh, in general, where um, politics was, both on the Republican side and the Democratic side. I think that there is a sense that nobody cares about the center anymore. And I guess no. the reason nobody cares about the center is because everybody's concerned about a primary. I mean, look, you have to win the primary, and the way you win a primary, let's say in a, in a borough like Queens, which is hugely diverse and populous, is by tacking as far left as you can possibly go, and that's what happens. And you have to go ahead and do that. Of course, in Rockland, it wasn't that way. You didn't have the far left candidate go ahead uh, and do that. Um, it's It's puzzling... To me, okay, oh, let's get to what Delaney said. You know, and and Delaney 
congressman, former congressman from Maryland, you know, very common sense. Let's have a common sense approach here, right? He says, it's bad policy, meaning getting outlawing private insurance. If you go to every hospital in this country, you ask them one question, which is how it would have been for you last year if every one of your bills were paid at the Medicare rate. Every single hospital administrator said they would close. And the Medicare for All bill requires payments to stay at the current Medicare rates. So to some extent, we're basically supporting a bill that will have every hospital closed. And then he said, what would his father have said to him? He'd look at me and he'd say, good job, John, for getting health care for every American. But why are you taking my health care away? It's kind of this idea that we don't have to, just because we can and just because the system is broken, doesn't mean we shouldn't try and fix it as opposed to getting rid of it. And this revolutionary idea that you want to take away something that many people have and many people like and many people want, you know, it goes back to why Obamacare was a failure, particularly in the rollout to most people, is because the idea of you can the promise you can keep your doctor, which was, of course, not true. You couldn't keep your doctor in many cases in order to do that. And people like, there are people out there who want to control the costs, but they also, they want to control the system, but they want to keep that the healthcare that they have. And it's one of these crazy, funny things is that nobody seems to want to capture that centrism. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that. Tim Ryan last night, Congressman, you know, John Delaney, some of these guys seem to want to capture the center. We'll see who does that tonight. But the center should seem up for grabs because this administration has gone very far to the right. I think there's no question. But the Democrats seem to be going very far to the left. And I'll tell you this, you know, elections are not about Donald Trump on one uh, <coughs> Donald Trump on one side and nobody on the other side. And we'll have an up or down vote on whether you like Trump or not. That's not how it works when people are going to be presented with a choice. And if that choice is going to be Elizabeth Warren or that choice is going to be Bill de Blasio or that choice is going to be Tulsi Gabbard or Bernie Sanders, in many cases, these people are way to the left of the American mainstream. And people are not, and I think a lot of voters are going to recoil from that. And the problem, and the bottom line is they might go ahead and hold their nose once again in 2020 and reelect Donald Trump. And I think where things are, that's likely that there is a strong likelihood of that happening, despite all the polling, despite him being behind, the Democrats are going way too far left. And I think, and the Republicans should also make an effort, and I think the president should make an effort, and I say this over and over, to recapture that center. The Republicans have lost tremendous ground in the suburbs. They don't need to lose that ground because the economic policies are doing well. Okay, a couple pointers for the debate as we close up. Uh, this show. Joe Biden doesn't get any mention. Everybody thought he was going to be attacked. He doesn't get any mention. Uh, I think that's good for him. I mean, he didn't have a chance not to defend himself. Uh, nobody really attacked the president either. It was kind of interesting. There wasn't a lot of attacking. Uh, the biggest attack, I think, came from Bill de Blasio. I'm uh, sorry, from Julian, Ca- uh, 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 Julian Castro against uh, Beto O'Rourke. And that was the two Texas guys going after it uh, on immigration. I thought Castro got way the better of Beto on that. I thought Beto came across unprepared, stiff, not in command. The opening in Spanish was just weird. Why are you opening? I understand everybody wants to speak Spanish and get there, which I think is good. Smart. Why not? I don't have a problem with people speaking Spanish. Many people in this country speak Spanish, and that's not a that's not an issue. I'm not offended. I'm sure that people out there are offended by it. But starting off in Spanish 
That's not, I mean, the bottom line is you have to recognize that the language of this country, of most people in this country, is English. And it should be English. That isn't, it's a common tongue for many people. And yes, we have, we, we have many Latinos, but the bottom line is don't start off in Spanish. I just, I, I don't like it. Uh, number two, um, I, I, that was very off-putting, and I thought, yeah, and I thought Beto was just bad. Uh, Cory Booker was pretty good. Uh, he actually got the most words in, uh, most time. So, you know, of the, you know, kind of one percenters, you know, where, where do we go? I think that was good. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was definitely wanted everybody to know that she's a veteran, that she's an army person and, uh, kept talking about regime change as she does. She, they shied away from nailing her down on her support for Syria and Hezbollah, um, I was uh, they, they they worked the Hezbollah thing in there and then they let her get out of the thing, um, you know. And I think that people out there, you know, I wonder if they asked them the candidates tonight about the private insurance thing because I think that's a big one. And Bernie Sanders has been against, you know, been for getting rid of private insurance as well. So, you know, that is you know kind of where. You know, where we are, I mean, we are in a looking for a far, we're looking at a far left party and we're looking at a party that keeps looking to go even further to the left with this hope that we, you know, we because we're not Donald Trump, somebody's going to come out of here and, you know, Americans don't like revolutionary change. I think that that's been the case for in the post-war era. I, I don't know beyond that, but they don't like revolutionary change. They like change. They like, you know, generally, if people are happy with the economy, and this is kind of how the first question started last night, I thought it was a good question to the candidates. If the economy is doing well, why are you looking to, and every course, every candidate said, well, only the 1% is doing well. You know, uh, you have it believe that most Americans are not doing well and joblessness is at an all-time low and employment is way up and all that stuff that's actually happening i mean this is idea that the democrats are rooting for the economy to fail for people to be out of work in order that they can take political advantage of it i think that's not a good place to be in so we'll have to kind of wait to kind of get the full idea of where you know where things are uh, the one, uh, again, a shortcoming, I think, was, you know, Julian Castro has an immigration plan, as Elizabeth Warren actually endorsed it. Uh, I think that all in all, the immigration system is atrocious, uh, but it's got to be fixed. I think coming his plan, which basically decriminalizes crossing the border illegally, I think that's wrong. Um, I am pro- and I've said this pro legal immigration. Uh, there are many people in the Republican Party who are not pro legal immigration. But why does the Democratic Party want to be on the side of people who break the law? And this is, you know, kind of a similar thing to Tiffany Caban. Why do you want to be on the side of people who deal drugs? Why do you want to be on the people who, who violate the law in many different ways, even if it's minor infractions? Why do you want to be on the side of people who are here illegally? I understand there's difficult circumstances. I understand there's asylum. We have to fix that system. That doesn't mean you should encourage people to break the law. And the bottom line is for is that illegal immigrants don't vote and you know maybe they're getting closer to it, but that is 
if you want to risk your standing with many Americans who do vote and out there, um, you know, does the Democratic Party want to be the party of people who break the law? Uh, we'll leave that question out there hanging for next week. Here, this is Spin Class with Michael Fragan here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Thank you.